0: Christian Circle Podcast, and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez, where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show.
1: My name is Charles Johnston, and I'm a uh, convert to Catholicism from Evangelical Protestantism. I was raised Presbyterian and Evangelical, and I converted to Catholicism at age 30. Uh, I've been Catholic for, for a few years now. And I have a blog at nowthatimcatholic.com, am Catholic.com and uh, where I post you know, periodic articles, and also a Facebook page that I put videos, usually Sunday scripture reflections.
0: And so you usually do this uh, podcast with us about uh, different saints. So yeah, who is kind uh, of a monthly? Yeah, so who is the saint that we're talking about today?
1: This week, we're t- this month, we're talking about uh, Saint John Bosco. <laughs> commonly referred to as Don Bosco, mm-hmm. and he was a uh, saint from the 19th century in Italy. He was a priest. He uh, he really specialized, kind of his uh, his charism was helping young people, mostly like young boys. You know, he's seen a, a big need for, for young boys to have direction in their life so they didn't end up in a life of crime or just, you know, petty theft and things like that. Mm-hmm. So he really, that's what he focused pretty much his entire life's work was on, helping young people, especially young boys avoid a life of crime, avoid, you know, kind of that street urchin life that was really rampant in, you know, the industrial age in most of Europe, and even the Americas. Yeah. So he really, you know, he dedicated his life to helping these young, you know, young boys and young men to really find a purpose in their life. You know, because if you, if you have no, if you're just out there on the street and you have no higher, nothing greater than yourself really to look up to, to, to feel called and led towards, then Really, all morality subjective from that point. Then falling into, like I said, a life of crime or doing different things, getting into vices and stuff, and not practicing virtue really becomes easier and easier the more you get disconnected from God and from morality itself. So that's what he was trying to kind of keep them connected to God and to the Church, and through that he would reach out to them and try to bring them in, bring them into the fold. Well, he was born in Italy in uh, he was born in Italy in I think it was 1814 or 1815. So it's right after Napoleon was really war ravaged at that point, you know, especially the part of Italy he was from. And it was just really a bad time. And then he's born, he was the youngest of nine or ten kids, and his father dies when he was two years old. So he grew up already, you know, disadvantaged, already in poverty. And then for the breadwinner of the family to die was just almost a death sentence for the family back then. And, I mean, it's hard enough nowadays, but imagine what it would have been like in 1816 Italy. And he had to kind of grow up quicker than really what most kids usually do. And by the age of 12, he had ran away from home, and he was looking for work, and he worked a bunch of different manual labor jobs. I can't imagine hiring a 12-year-old to do manual labor, but I guess it's a different, different time, different age. But, yeah, he had a lot of experience with that kind of that street life himself. Yeah, he was, uh, he was very devout as a child. Like, they went to church a lot together as a family, went to Mass a lot. He was very devout as a child, and he actually had several dreams and visions that he was going to do something great for God as an adult. And he kind of held on to that, and it gave him purpose. Like I said, you know, everyone needs a purpose in life, and he felt that he had his purpose. And he, he would go out, and he, uh, he was really impressed by a traveling circus troupe. He was, like, eight or nine years old. And he was impressed with magic tricks and card tricks and stuff. And so he would gather around as a child. He would gather kids around with magic tricks mm-hmm. and then he would repeat the, the homily that he heard the priest say at mass yeah, okay. after he got their attention, you know, so he would kind of grab their attention and then give them actual substance. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there was a priest that took him in when he was about 15 years old and he ended up becoming canonized himself. This priest, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he ended up becoming canonized himself and he took him in and kind of guided him to where he already had felt a calling towards the priesthood, but he kind of mentored him.
0: And what about his ministry
1: then? What is so special about his... Uh yeah, yeah. St. Francis de Sales was a uh, bishop in Geneva in the, I want to say the 16th century, 17th century. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he would go back around, because Geneva was kind of a Calvinist stronghold, and he would go throughout Geneva, kind of re-evangelizing the people of the Catholic faith. And he started a society of priests, John Bosco. And named the Society of Saint Francis of Sales, mm-hmm. and so that's what you'll see priests nowadays called salations. Yeah, yeah sometimes salations of Don Bosco they call themselves, mm-hmm. and the, they're the society that was founded in it was 1875 mm-hmm. by Don Bosco, and their charism is really, you know, youth ministry, youth oriented. Mm-hmm. I went to a uh, I went to a conference recently in Texas, mm-hmm. a uh, kind of a parish conference. And one of the priests there was from Florida. And he was from a, uh, a Sal- he was from New York originally, but he was stationed in Florida. He was a Salation priest. And he I had never I hadn't read about Salation before, but i never actually met one that I knew was a Salation. I probably met one on the street in New York as a kid and never knew it. But I met this priest, and Father Steve and Father Steve gave a talk at the conference. He gave the homily at the opening mass. Mm-hmm. And it really struck me. He gave the homily at the opening mass for this conference. And the homily really struck me as, you know, really, like, grounded and very relatable. You know, it wasn't, it was like it was speaking at a very common level, you know, down-to-earth homily. And uh, it, it really felt like it hit home with me, too. It was like he was talking to me. And then I talked to a few of the guys that were there. It was a, uh, it was a men's conference. Mm-hmm. I talked to a few of the guys that was there, and they said, yeah, they felt like he was talking to them particularly, too. You know, so he kind of had this quality to where. Felt like he was speaking directly to you. And I ended up talking to him afterwards, and really a real down to earth guy. Like, you know, what you, what you would think of is like a, a movie if he was cast to be the parish priest from New York. You know, this was like he was from Central Casting. And, uh you know, his father was a fireman in New York City, and he was from Staten Island, and all these things. It was like he was booked for this part. And uh, he gave a talk at the conference, and the talk, he used a lot of props and At the the conference later on the next day, was like a family conference, you know? And so he's giving the talk, and there's all kinds of younger people there. There's kids there, and he's using props on stage, and he's really, you know, breaking it down for the younger people about, you know, the the importance of the call to holiness and putting Christ central in your life and things like that. And he really, really broke it down. I I mentioned to someone afterwards, you know, I can't believe how he he spoke to the 80-year-old woman in the front row, he spoke to me he spoke to the 10 year old kid that was sitting beside me you know like it was like every person got but the kids really seem to be paying attention to it mm-hmm. and she said yeah well he's a salation like i'm spo- you know like of course <laughs> you know that's their thing and i said well i don't really know exactly what that means they said well he that's basically what they do is they preach to kids they break it down to the kids they draw the kids in with whatever they need to like don bosco would do magic tricks mm-hmm. to get their attention and once he had their attention, then he would hit them over the head with truth. Mm-hmm. You know, hit them over the head with the gospel after he had their attention. And that's what Father Steve done. So right. that really stuck, stuck with me. that like, wow, this is, you know, it's a great way to really grab people's attention. Mm-hmm. Was their, their method of doing things. And that's, you know, it's been 100 and what is it, 140 years since
0: yeah.
1: Don Bosco founded them. And they're still doing it. In our
0: community, we have a Salvation School. And mm-hmm. all of my colleagues, like in our parish, we have maybe in my batch, there are people I think six or seven of them have become the priests. Right, we have one Jesuit, one Red, uh, redemptorist, and one archdiocesan priest. But because we have a school, these guys talk about vocation very, very early. Like,
1: right,
0: they're talking to children about vocation and through their school and college and work life. It's at the back mm-hmm. of their mind that they have something about vocation. So, in fact. Right. Our listeners are listening. If you're considering a school for your child, uh, please consider a Salesian school or a Jesuit. Yeah. Faith formation occurs very early in these
1: schools. Yeah, because if you see a lot of these, a lot of these saints we talk about, the ones that are priests or nuns, you know, religious, they all seem to get a calling, you know, early enough in life. Some of them, I mean, like, you know, like uh, Saint Augustine, he got called when he was like 40 years old, so he had a late call in life, but most. Most of them have a young calling. You really gotta nurture that. You know, you really you have to be open and attentive to the Lord to be able to hear that when it comes. You know, if Don Bosco hadn't been such a religious and such a devout child, maybe he wouldn't have paid attention to them dreams that he had as a child. Or when he ran away from home and this priest took him in, maybe he would have took advantage of the priest and stole off him. And you know, like didn't listen to his counsel and stuff. You know, so you really gotta. You do gotta raise a child up in the ways, you know, ways of the Lord. When they get old, they won't depart from them. That's what it says in Proverbs. What
0: What else about um, the ministry of Don Bosco? Because I don't, I have not really come across miracles or things like that happening, except that his service to the youth was so much uh, effect.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't. You know, he wasn't really like a miracle worker or a faith healer or anything. He ministered though. He he lived. He lived the beatitudes. You know, he he ministered to. The poor, you know, when Jesus says, like, when I, you know, welcome to the kingdom. When he separates the sheep and the goats, and he says, when I was hungry, you fed me; when I was sick, you, you know, he helped me; when I was naked, you clothed me; when I was in prison, you visited me. He done all these things. You know, he would go into prisons and visit. That's what really started his ministry when he first was a priest in Tora, in Italy. He was just ordained, and he went. His first job was to go to the prison and be like a chaplain to the prisoners. And he noticed that a lot of the prisoners were these young, kind of directionless men. You know, not even men, children, really. You know, I can't even imagine a prison filled with 13- and 14-year-old kids. But this is what he found. And he visited the prisoner, he comforted the afflicted, he he clothed the naked, he done all these things. And the spiritual works of mercy, too. So he really lived out, you know, our call to practice the spiritual and corporal works of mercy. And, you know, that's what makes him a saint. That's what we're all called to do, though. So it isn't, we look at all these saints' lives, and we examine them all. We've been doing this for about a year now. And we look at them all, and they're all doing things that we're supposed to do. You know, it isn't like they're not really, they're doing extraordinary things, but it really isn't extraordinary things they're doing because we're all called to do them. It's just, it's the few that actually answer the call. So it's kind of a motivator, too, when you look at them and you see, any one of us can go to our prison and visit prisoners. Any one of us can feed the hungry or clothe the naked. Like, we can do these things, instruct the ignorant. You know, there's all these different corporal and spiritual works of mercy that we could all practice in our own lives, you know, even with people we know.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: It doesn't have to be strangers.
0: You can always pick a niche that maybe you've been through. Like, there are certain things that we experience and we understand what it feels like and we can help other people. So, just like Don't Mm. will help other youth, maybe there's something in our own life where which requires ministering and we, right. and we
1: can reach out to those people mm-hmm. yeah and i mean that's what makes that's what makes different saints different uh, patrons of different things you know it's it's not that we can't pray for the intercession of don bosco if we have cancer you know it just it, people usually pray to saint peregrine when they have cancer because saint peregrine had cancer so it's usually things that these saints, you, you feel like they have kind of keen interest in. Not that any of the saints wouldn't pray for you or intercede for you anyway, you know? But that's the whole kind of concept behind being a patron saint, and that's why you can find, and you can be a, like that, you can be a patron saint here on earth to someone in a similar situation as yourself. You know, like, if you went through certain things, you can help someone through that. You know, just like like you said, like Don Bosco, he was Kind of a directionless youth, and he was homeless, running away from homeless up. So then he turned it around. And he helped those that were in his situation as as a youth. So yeah, I think that's great advice to to look at your own life and see things you've come through, and to kind of take that and turn it and see what can I, who can I help with my experience, you know? Because your experience that you can have book knowledge about things, but to really have experiential knowledge about something really changes the whole dynamic of how you can help people. You know, even like you, need, you see in your own life, like things that you've went through, you can see that you know you have better experience so that you can help people from that vantage point. You know.
0: Did he have any help, like because this is a big ministry to undertake? Did he have uh-huh. any financial help, or was it that God, you know, dispensed to him as per the budget of his faith and then gave him like abundantly blessed him?
1: Right. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I mean, he came from a poor family. When he, uh, he started at the first house in uh, Turin, and at one point they had, I think it was like 800 kids living in the house. Mm-hmm. And his mother would come and kind of helped him out too, and like help him distribute things to the poor and stuff. But I mean, as far as I know, he never had any kind of patron that paid for anything.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd imagine
1: it was just from donations and stuff.
0: So that's another thing that, um, you know, you don't need to have a big budget if you're starting a ministry. You can always no. do it and then God will provide it
1: someday. <laughs> Start on a <the> shoestring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's I uh, I recently joined the Knights of Columbus, okay. and and uh, it was started because you know Irish Catholics in America in the 1800s were really looked down upon, oh. and they were they were the dock workers back east, you know, in the Northeast, mm-hmm. and Father Michael McGivney founded this society. Really, what it was for was to provide. Because dock workers, you know, was a dangerous job in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And this is the 1880s, I think it was, sorry, 1888. And it was, if you died on the job, mm-hmm. they made sure that your family would receive, back then, whatever it was, like 50 or $100, mm-hmm. I guess, it would be like a couple of thousand dollars nowadays. Mm-hmm. But your family would receive like kind of a death benefit and then make sure you got a funeral. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people couldn't afford to bury their own family members. Mm-hmm. And so that was what the Knights of Columbus was founded for, was to provide kind of a, a fraternal organization, but also to make sure if you died, because good chance you were going to die young, being a dock worker, mm-hmm. if you died, your family would be moderately taken care of. You know, they would at least be able to provide a funeral for you and a few hundred bucks for your kids. Mm-hmm. So that's what it was founded as. Now it's grown into you know, one of the largest charitable organizations in the world. Mm-hmm. The Pope called it the, the strong right arm of the church. So... The Knights are out there providing, you know, to homeless kids. They're out there providing all kinds of things, doing all kinds across the country, across the world. And it started, like you said, it started in the basement of a parish church in New Haven, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. You know, so you really can, from small things, big things come. And
0: congratulations.
1: Oh, thank you. So, uh,
0: what else about... um, Anything special about Donbass, so but what about the communications? Aren't the Malaysians known for their media and communications as
1: well? Uh, I don't know, are they? From what I, what I know of them, they're really known for, uh, for youth. youth. Yeah, youth ministry. But I, I don't know, when I think of communications and media. I usually think of the Paulist fathers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Okay. They're very big in the media, using media for evangelization. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I heard someone. Who was it? Uh, I was listening to the radio the other day, Catholic Answers, and uh, one of them said that if the, you know, if the internet was around back in the days of Saint Paul, he would definitely be on the internet. <laughs> you know, it's the greatest tool of evangelization. It's yeah. it just shows the two-edged you know, sword that everything in the world is. You got the internet has enabled human traffickers and child pornographers and arms dealers, like all kinds of really the worst of humanity. You know, to really connect with each other and do things. But it's also allowed for evangelization on a scale that's never been seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so it really is, there's light and dark to everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what the, the Paulist Fathers are very big into, the new evangelization through new media. Uh,
0: what was his connection with Dominic Salvo? If, if you heard of something on a like that. Yeah,
1: he was, uh, he was one of his uh, his pupils, one of his students. And he actually wrote the biography of Dominic Salvo, Salvo and... Uh, kind of push for his canonization. He was kind of the motivating factor behind that. I really don't know much about him personally, though.
0: So it also goes to show that uh, he mentored others just as he was mentored. And and that's uh, a example for us, too, that what we receive, we should be able to give out to other people as well. Pay it to- forward. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah d- definitely. Yeah, someone done something nice for you, do something nice for someone else. But especially in the, uh, in the spiritual life, it really reminds me of, there was uh, Jesus told a parable about a servant gets called in and he owed, I can't remember the details, but he owed a lot of money. It was basically like two or three years' wages. Yeah. And he couldn't pay it. And the master said, well, I'm going to have you thrown in the dungeon and tortured until, I don't know why that would make you want to, <laughs> that would make you come up with more cash if you're in the dungeon being tortured. If you don't have it, you don't have it. But he begged him and begged and please don't. And he said, okay. He said, you know what? I'm going to forgive you of your debt. Mm-hmm. And so he goes out. And he goes to a guy that owes him basically the equivalent of like five bucks. And he says, I don't have it. And he says, you know what? He grabs him by the shirt and says, you know what? I'm going to have your wife and kids thrown in that dungeon. I'm going to have you tortured until you pay me every penny. Mm-hmm. And he, the guy begs him, please. The master finds out about it and calls him in and says, I forgave you a sum that was 1,000 times higher than what he owed you. And you didn't show mercy to him, so now you're being thrown in the dungeon. Mm-hmm. And it just reminds me that we have been shown the ultimate mercy. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all stained by original sin. We're all stained by your personal sins we've committed And without a savior, we're bound for hell. So we've been saved and redeemed and purchased by the blood of Christ. So we have to then go out and take this mercy we've been given and give it to others. You know, we have, it isn't just like we should, we have to, it really is. We're called to go out. This is what, this is what it means to be a baptized Christian is to live the gospel and to take it, take what we have and share it with others.
0: It's good that you mentioned that. You know, this week I remember there's something that happened and I I lost my temper and I was mm. saying, God, it, I I can't believe I I said this, but I said, God, you know, it's your job to take revenge <laughs> and God, <it's laughs> my job to pray. And right. I, I had this this quote that somebody sent me and it was it was C.S. Lewis's quote which said, God has forgiven the inexcusable in you, and so you right. forgive the inexcusable in others. And it it struck me because. It was true you know i just been for a confession this week and i had come out and i had said this that that got yeah. you so it's it's really hard in real life to to practice but then yeah, it is yeah but then god but it's me. a great yeah. it's a
1: great thing yeah because I, I mean i i try to remind myself of that too when someone does something to me or when I, whenever i feel like i'm holding a grudge against someone or anything like that or yeah. i think like i've done things you know it was i mean it's completely off topic but i was listening to uh, the radio a few years ago. i was driving probably about seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about uh, the death penalty mm-hmm. on the radio. And like, it was a Christian radio. I don't think it was a Catholic station. It was just a Christian station. And said, you know, why are you like for or against the death penalty? And the host of the radio show said, well, he said, if you think about it, every one of you that's listening have committed a sin. If we were living on the court in the old Testament, that is worthy of death. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's a bunch of death and death penalty sins in the old mm-hmm. Testament. And yet Christ still died for you. So how can you say someone else should die for their sin? You know, and I was like, wow, it really <laughs> knocked me over the head. So it was really, and that's how I try to remind myself that whenever I really get really angry with someone and think like, you know, what they've done to me isn't anything compared to what I've done to God, because God's all holy and I've sinned against him. And that's an un, you know, that I can't, that's an unforgivable thing to sin against an unholy, uh, all holy God. You know, it's ultimate in, in, a, in sin, really, in like a transgression, it's an unpayable debt. And yet the debt was paid. So, how can I be mad at my brother if, if this was what was done for me, you know? It really is a humbling thing when you think about it. Yeah, who am I to hold a grudge? The creator of the universe didn't hold a grudge. <laughs>